is Jeans and a Nice Top, a crash course in modern dating with Ash and Mel. Hi, listeners. We've got a bit of a different episode for you today. Ash is not here. She is very busy this week, so it's just me, but I'm not writing solo. I am here with Moo, who is the Director of Primary Prevention at Wajek. Is that Wajek? Yeah, Wajek, Wajek. Either of those is fine. (laughs) Either way, it's Women's and Girls Emergency Centre and they do some amazing work supporting women who are escaping domestic and family abuse in Sydney, correct? That's right. Yep, in the inner city of Sydney and the inner west. And how long has Wajek existed for? I think it's 44 years now. Um, We've been around for a long, long, long time. We were started by a woman called Jeannie Devine, who herself had some issues with homelessness and had experienced that and decided that um, when she got her life together that she really wanted to contribute back um, and support women who, you know, were kind of living on the streets or living in really unstable circumstances. So she founded Wayjack and it's been going from strength to strength over the last, you know, almost five decades now. Yeah, so amazing. That's such a long time. Like you just don't even think about these things, but it's just fantastic that something's existed for that long that's supporting women. Um, How long have you been involved? I have been, mm, that's a good question. So I've actually been officially working at Wayjack for a little bit over a year now, but um, I've been involved with Wayjack and a kind of friend of Wayjack for mm, 10 plus years now. I um, used to run a project um, for um, LGBTIQ people impacted by domestic and family violence, mm-hmm. and um, I had a couple of friends working at Wayjack when it was a drop-in centre in Surrey Hills in one of those big old houses. Mm. And um, since then, it's kind of grown and you know developed, and we now have um, you know refuges and longer-term accommodation for women and some awesome programs that don't exist in your average domestic violence service because we do lots of kind of fundraising and community stuff that allows us to do things like working with kids and young people to support them as clients in their own right Um, and also things around recovery from trauma as well. Mm, Which is, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so important because I guess like I feel kind of bad that it's taken this long for me to really get a better understanding of how domestic and family abuse can affect women and the difficulties in sort of extricating yourself from those situations because I have been lucky enough to not experience that in my life. Um, And I suppose I, well, I I potentially have had people around me experiencing it and I just didn't know, but I haven't had any direct, like it's never directly impacted me via Mm. friends and family. But um, I, like many people listening, uh, and if you haven't, you really should watch it. Um, Netflix has a series called Made on at the moment, um, and it stars Margaret Qualley and her mum, Andy McDowell, which is fun. I feel like it would be so weird to, like, act in a movie with your mum. But they're both amazing. And it basically follows a woman call who basically is in an emotionally abusive relationship um Mm. she has a little girl and pretty much in the first episode she you know makes a snap decision to leave not a snap decision but you know actually makes a decision and leaves and um but then over the course of about 10 episodes it's just just constant like 
walls that she comes up against, whether they're financial walls like red tape in terms of government assistance and um, legal staff. It's just harrowing to watch because it's very clear that she needs to not be in that relationship Mm. and not in that living situation, but it actually just becomes so difficult for her. Um, And I don't think this is a spoiler because I think that it's quite obvious it's going to happen at some point. She does go back at one point. And it's just so heartbreaking because, um, you know, you can kind of see as the viewer that she really didn't have anywhere else to turn at that point. Um, and she really had been fighting, fighting, fighting to mm-hmm. to get away from that life and and fighting probably harder than many people would, to be honest. Um, yeah. And then, you know, hit so many walls that she ends up going back. Um, and it's just made me really kind of, I suppose, it's, it opened my eyes to the more, I, I guess, more of a detailed look at mm. domestic and emotional abuse, because I think we've always had depictions of it as just sort of, you know, a partner hitting, you know, a woman. Yeah. Uh, like, and, you know, and that's, then we all go, that's bad. She needs to leave. But this is more to do with like verbal abuse, control, intimidation. Uh, in the very beginning, he throws, I think he throws a, um like a plate at the wall. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the catalyst for her to go, because I think some of it smashes and it hits like her daughter and it doesn't hurt her daughter, but it's like, you know, well, clearly things are getting violent. Um, And I think, you know, there's so so much to unpack and I really wanted to talk you, to you because I think that firstly it's probably making a lot of women realise, shit, my relationship might actually mm-hmm. be abusive and I might actually need to deal with this and extricate myself um, and then how do you go about that? But then also I think for those of us that aren't experiencing an abusive relationship, I just think it's so important that we know how to look for the signs from friends because she even in the in the series, you know, she doesn't um, she doesn't really tell people outwardly. I'm in it. She actually can't even admit it to herself for a long time. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting how they also show how she covers it up a little with her friends and family. Uh, hmm. And if they'd only known how to sort of look at the signs and look at the way that she was interacting with her partner and things. Um, so anyway, that's a massive monologue from me. But, um, but it's, it's a great series. Describing sounds really like a very, very t- typical experience, right? So yeah. um, I've probably over the years I've been working in this space for um, a couple of decades now and I've probably spoken to um, hundreds if not maybe more than a 1,000 people who have experienced um, intimate partner abuse. Mm. Um and very few of them at the time when they were in that identified that what they were experiencing was um, abuse or could would consider themselves um, a victim survivor of violence in that moment. Um, it's often just a whole load of really unpleasant, awful controlling behaviours that mm. um, you just kind of think, oh, um, you know, this is not good, this is a shit relationship, but you don't necessarily say this is abuse. Mm. Um, the In terms of the, the piece around um you know, actually making the decision to leave the relationship. For many women, um, leaving the relationship is either not an option or it's not what they want. They just want that violence and abuse to stop. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, most of us, we have relationships where, you know, some of them are better than others, but, um, you know, there are points at which you go, this is this is not nice. And in a, in a healthy one, you find ways to come together and um, talk about that stuff and you try and work through it. Um, in an unhealthy work relationship where there's a misuse of power and control going on, which is what, um, you know, domestic or intimate partner or gender-based violence is, 
that's when you don't have those tools to be able to come together and negotiate and go, this is not working for me. And so, um, you know, for for many people, um, the actual, the, the idea of, you know, leaving that, you've got to find somewhere to live, you know, you've got to find somewhere to put your kids in school, you might have to find a new job. None of that is an attractive, you know, prospect. And so it can be really, really tough to make that decision to leave and that might not be, always be the right one um, for you. Yeah. And I suppose even like, you know, not only is it not an attractive prospect, but that's like a shitload of change all at once. Like I feel like I'm not a great, I'm not a person that copes well with change in general. Like Mm -hmm. even the smallest of changes, like moving house is really like overwhelming an experience. And I think, you know, it, that's another factor that I suppose, you know, you don't recognize until you kind of see it occurring. Like I did in the show of like, God, it's like, it's not just about like leaving this unhealthy relationship and finding safety. It's then like, what's after that? Like what's after the bit where you find a safe haven, you're rebuilding your life from the ground up, you know, you're, um, she loses a lot of, you know, friendships because they're connected to Mm. her partner. And, um, I actually was going to say, um, coercive control is one that I think is more of a new term that I've heard. I'd, I'd not heard yeah. it before maybe a year or two ago. And yeah. I felt, I feel like what I've read about it was really shocking because again, I just think it's kind of probably abuse behaviors that people don't always recognize as abuse. And like, mm-hmm. would you count, for example, you know, a partner that where you then are really just part of their world and you don't really have a world of your own as kind of falling into that category? Yeah, I mean, abusive um, abusive behaviour can look like all sorts of different things. So for a really long time, um, you know, we kind of thought of, you know, domestic violence or intimate partner violence as being broken bones, bruises, yep. those physical injuries, going to the emergency department. And, of course, all of that happens. But, um, again, many, many, many people who are long-term survivors of violence say he never, ever did anything physical to me. It was the mm. threats. It was the control. It was the stopping me from going out to work or going out to study. It was um, taking all, taking charge of all of the um, household finances and saying, I'll look after this because I'm better at it than you are. It's um, it's those kind of subtle types of behaviour where, um, you know, there's um, the, the systems piece as well. So stopping people from accessing um, things like maybe Centrelink or a disability mm. payment. It might be um, stopping them from seeing a doctor or a GP when they need some medical treatment. It might be um, things like, I mean, we see it a lot in the family court. Um, so when things have gone really, really, really badly wrong, um, there are often, you know, like, you know, dad or the the partner is saying, I'm going to take you to family court and I will get custody of the kids and that's it. You will not see them again. And I've seen that happen many, many, many times. It's sort of using those systems and those um, pieces against her and keeping her in that place of fear mm. um, you know walking on eggshells um, wondering what the next explosion is going to look like um, threatening to harm kids harm you know family members pets is a big one as well like threatening or actually harming um, pets as part of that kind of violence and that fear thing so it's um, it can be really really subtle types of um, behavior it, and a big part of um the way that it works is keeping somebody really isolated. So, Mm -hmm. you know, gradually kind of chopping off those friends and families and, you know, colleagues, even people that would be around and would support normally. Um, Maybe the the people who might be able to step in and say, look, I'm a bit worried about you. 
um, if you gradually break down all of those relationships and somebody's sense of a self-esteem at the same time, then you can be left as a really like, you know, really, really broken and unable to see any way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like not to constantly reference made, but in <laughs> made, that was another thing that I was really like, I suppose, um, because I, I was getting really frustrated with her, some of her behaviour, because she just kept making these kind of decisions that put her more at risk. Like at one point she, you know, has her little girl who's four and she gets a new job and she leaves her little girl with her mother and her mother's very erratic and like not mm. very trustworthy. And so, of course, that doesn't go very well. Um, and I was just like, oh, God, why are you making these decisions? But then I think that the the series is kind of showing viewers that, you're not talking about someone who's super confident and like, you know, in a great place where they're like ready to fight and ready to like, you know, lock horns with somebody else and like battle for their, you know, independence. You're talking about somebody who's been beaten down really emotionally, who, you know, is probably not going to be making all of the best decisions because who could in that situation? Yeah, there's two parts to that. It's really interesting because we know that um, exposure to violence has um, like physical and psychological effects. So when Mm -hmm. somebody is constantly um, living in fear and this um, is both for, you know, primary victims, so the woman who's experiencing that, but also um, we know a lot more now about um, the impacts on kids and young people, even babies in utero. So when they're being exposed to violence, um, it actually rewires the brain and it confuses the flight or fight, fight response. Um, and so that piece of like excessive fear, living in excessive fear and anxiety and um, uh, excessive cortisol from the brain, it affects your ability to regulate stress. And it also means it's really hard to make decisions and make, you know, choices mm. that would be considered rational or normal um, in that context. The other piece is sometimes from the outside it can really look like, um, you know, and you, if, if you're supporting somebody um, that you know and you care about, they may make some choices that um, are really difficult for you to understand. But the important thing to remember is they've been managing their safety and often the safety of their kids for a really, really long time and they are the ones that are best placed to decide what the next course of action is. Um, it can be really hard and even frustrating at times when you think, okay, they just need to do this. Um, but it's about um, supporting them and being alongside them rather than saying this is what we need to do. We need to go and report to police or we need to, you know, um, we need to get you out of there and we need to go to a refuge. It has to be, um, you know, supporting her to make the right kinds of decisions because we know when when women leave, it's the most dangerous time for them. That's when people were murdered, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's when a perpetrator of violence feels that grip of um, control, um, you know, disintegrating that that's when often that will trigger um you know really horrific violence um and so yeah it's it can be a hard thing but you have to be really non-judgmental when you're um supporting somebody in that situation yeah that actually brings up a good point of like how can people notice like what are the early warning signs i guess both within a relationship because obviously what happens behind closed doors is not necessarily what's happening in public but then also are there signs that friends and family can like be on the lookout for yeah. if they've worried about a friend of theirs or a, a family member? Yeah. I would say if you're in a relationship where somebody is um, physically hurting you, threatening you, touching you in places or getting you to do things with your body that you don't want to, forcing you to have sex, if they're extremely jealous um, without reason, 
Um, if they're monitoring your texts or your emails or your internet usage, if they're um, preventing you from accessing money or being able to earn money, if they're telling you what to wear and how to dress, mm. um, you know, um, if they are damaging physically things around you like your home um, or pets or threatening to do those sorts of things, if they're sharing photos and images of you without um, your permission all of those sorts of things are building that kind of fear um, and that is not healthy. They are all, you know, more than red flags of um, abusive behaviour. Um, if you're feeling like you're walking on eggshells, you're scared, um, you have to adapt your behaviour around your partner, then I would say, you know, reach out and get some help from somebody. How are you, like, because I suppose the difficulty, well, it's not really the, the difficulty, but I think a lot of people would have this question of obviously relationships go through frictious times, you know, like you might have an argument, um, yep. you know, you might raise your voice at each other, people aren't perfect, but where's the tipping point there or is it just kind of you, like what, what would be the indicator that it's not just an argument that people have and that's yeah, fine? I'd, I'd say it's fear. Like if you're yeah. afraid of your partner or, you know, a family member, if, yeah. you're, if you're anxious because they're around, if you're feeling jumpy, if you're feeling isolated, if you're no longer doing the things that you used to do because they've said to you, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. If um, if you feel like your, your self-esteem is really, really low, if you feel like you're just having a whole heap of demands that are unreasonable put on you, mm-hmm. um, all of those sorts of things are, um, are pretty good indicators. And if you see somebody doing that to their partner, you know, if you see somebody putting their partner down, um, telling them what they can and can't do, um, being really unreasonably jealous, not taking responsibility for their actions, constantly texting them, checking up on where they are, mm. um, getting really angry with their partner, all of those sorts of things are indicators that there's something going on there that is more than the average, you know, just having a really shit day or a really shit time in that relationship. Yeah. It's that fear piece. Yeah, that is, I suppose that does make sense because I suppose when you're having like an argument with a partner that's not, that's just an argument, I guess, you're not, you would be on the same power level, you know, yeah. like it shouldn't be that, one person, like your one person is afraid and feels belittled yeah. and the other person feels, you know, um, that's really interesting. And I think that's really good to know, even if you haven't experienced an abusive relationship, mm. because obviously to be armed with these tools, to know that they're the warning signs will obviously help you avoid them in the future as yeah. well. And it might look really subtle, you know, it might be kind of things that um, are really hard to spot from the outside, but it'll often be like change of behaviour. Mm. Um, so somebody starts dressing differently or they stop turning up to like Friday night drinks or, um, they start turning up to work things really late or not, you know, like dropping the ball on work stuff. Um, it might be, um, you know, it's, it's often really, really, um, small things that actually are cumulative and you go, it just doesn't feel quite right. You know, that Mm. person is not okay. Um, and I always say it's much better to ask than not. Right. Yeah. So what's the worst that you risk in asking is they go, no, don't, don't be ridiculous. I'm absolutely fine. Or um, they go, yeah, things are not great. You know, um, my partner's lost his job and we're really struggling financially at the moment. Or um, actually I'm, you know, depressed and I'm anxious and I'm having a really hard time with my mental health. You know, like all of those sorts of things may look like some of the symptoms, but um, much better to ask that and, and kind of be slightly embarrassed um, than not. 
I would say. And is there a right way to ask or a right time, do you think, or...? I think, okay, so we know not only does it take, uh, I think it's on average um, seven times, it takes for a woman to leave an abusive relationship when mm-hmm. she decides that's the right thing. But um, timing-wise, um, if you're worried about them and you suspect that something's not okay, it's better to ask. In a situation, obviously, where it's safe for them to be able to, you know, respond, recognise that, um, you know, they're not always going to say, yes, I am I am experiencing abusive behaviour at the moment or, you know, that's often they won't use those words um, and quite often as well they will sort of test you out a bit. So even if they're disclosing to you for the first time, they might um, just test out and tell you a little bit. Um, the most important thing is that the conversation is really natural and open and um, that you leave it to them to come and um, check back in with you or you can say, look, you know, let's have another coffee in a week or so and see how you're going, you know, really offering to support them where they are because as we've talked about, you know, they might not ever want to leave that situation. They might just need to know that they've got somebody there who's going to support them if and when they take some kind of action. Um really helpful to have a bit of information on hands to know what you can do to support them um and we can talk through a little bit about that in a minute but you know just um not pushing them into um the next step as i said not making you know forcing them to go and make a police report or um take steps that are not right for them but making sure that they know that um you're there for them yeah because it sounds like it needs like it's almost like patience is kind of key when supporting somebody who potentially is in an abusive relationship, hey? And I I think also just um, it's really important to name that the behaviour is not okay. So letting them Mm -hmm. know that you're here to support them, there's nothing that they did to deserve this, and, you know, that that name that specific behaviour is it's abusive and it's not nurturing and it's not loving and that's not an acceptable way to treat, you know, your partner or your family member, making sure they feel, um, making sure that it's really clear that they know that there's nothing that they've done to provoke it um that um using abusive behavior is a choice always and it doesn't matter whether there are alcohol and drugs involved or mental health or other things going on around it people make choices to be abusive um and they can make a choice to go and get help as well so there's plenty of support out there for people who are worried about um the impacts of their behavior on you know the people that they love Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah that's so that's such a good point because I often feel when I'm supporting friends when they're you know going through something and I think a lot of people do this we're often very empathetic and we're sort of like oh like I understand that's really difficult because you know they're going through like it would be very easy to feel like you need to go soft with it and say oh yes they're having mental health problems oh yes they've lost their job no wonder like they're stressed but then what you're saying is to not go down that path but actually to say this behavior is not okay it doesn't matter what it's stemming from it's not okay I mean, there are plenty of people who have grown up with abuse in their family and choose not to then do that within their relationships. There are plenty of people who um, use loads of alcohol and drugs, but it doesn't mean they go home and they beat their partner. Mm. Um, So those things um, may exacerbate the violence um, and make it worse physically, but at the end of the day, um, it's it's a choice. It's a choice to be abusive um, to your partner, even if you don't have all of the tools that you need to be able to have a healthy relationship most people know that their behaviour is not acceptable. Mm. Um, and that's why they'll do um, an immense amount to hide it often as well. Um, so they will often appear as really charming, um, outgoing people to everybody else. And then when they're at home, 
that's when it all kicks off and the behavior is just really controlling and manipulative. Yeah, I suppose that's also why you get those, you know, which I think we've been fighting against for a long time now, those sorts of reports when, you know, you see a man who's, you know, murdered his family and they're like, oh, he was such a good guy, he was such a good guy, and it's just so toxic to be labelling these people as that because, you know, they obviously weren't a good guy and, you know, it's, um, but I suppose what you're saying is, yeah, like these types of people get very good at hiding it so you're probably not going to see it as much from the partner, correct? Yeah, so that's, doing yeah the that's right. I mean, everybody's circumstance is different. So sometimes you will see it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There'll be no shame there and it'll be um, the behaviour will be really consistent whether they're at work or whether they're in, you know, a social setting or whether they're at home. But many um, abusive people really keep that behaviour to um, for the people closest to them, the people that they're supposed to love. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's often, you know, partner and kids that um, are the only ones that are really aware of the extent of the behaviour. Yeah. Um, so say you are in an abusive situation, What's what are some first steps you can take? Obviously calling the police if you're in immediate danger is one. Yeah. But there are a range of options. It really has to be um, the right thing for you and, you know, not everybody wants to leave, not everyone wants to have to leave their home. We um, Things have really shifted in Australia in the last 10 years or so and, there's a much stronger emphasis on um, people being able to stay in their homes and the person using violence being removed. So mm. most states and territories in Australia have um, what we call a safe at home program, which um, uh, is like wraparound support for her to stay in the home. It also means kids can stay in schools and yeah. build, you know, like kind of keep that stability around some of the things that are normal and, um, you know, healing in their lives. Um, so that's one possibility. Of course, that doesn't work for everybody. You know, some people do just need to um, to get out and leave, and there are a range of different support services that can do that. Again, every state and territory has um, like a domestic violence or a family violence um, support line that you can mm-hmm. call. Um, but I would say, you know, friends and family, um, even if you've been really isolated from all of the people around you, think about who there is in your life that you might be able to reach out to and get some informal support for because there's, the professional support services, which are super important um, and can help you navigate some of that system stuff that we were talking about. Um, but having somebody that's on your side that you can, you know, text at 10 o'clock at night and go, this is driving me crazy, you know, like I just need, you need to know you've got one person on your side. Mm. Um, so being being like I would really encourage people to um, to open up to somebody that they, um, that they trust um, and that they know is not going to judge them um, and is going to kind of walk alongside there and be be in there for the long haul. It has to be, um, you know, because it's not a nice, neat, linear recovery from um, this sort of um, stuff. If your self-confidence has been eroded to the point where you just feel pretty awful about yourself, you need somebody that's going to be on your side in the longer term. So um, talk to somebody. Talk to, a, a you know, GPs are pretty well equipped these days. Some mm. people much prefer to talk to somebody that they kind of know but is not super connected into their family or community um some people would prefer to talk to you know like a spiritual leader or a you know um a priest or you know iman there are there are a whole range of places we've done a lot of work in australia in terms of equipping community leaders um Mm. to be that kind of go-to person and support person and also make sure that they're connected into the support services as well. So that's always a possibility. But, yeah, find find somebody that you trust that you would um, that you can reach out and help. Um, the other thing is there's a ton of information online these days. So um, 1-800-RESPECT is the National Sexual Assault and Domestic mm-hmm. and Violence Counselling Service. 
Um, you can do web chat with them. It's confidential, um, anonymous, and um, not only is there a whole heap of information that you can just go and kind of look at, um, but you can also um, you can call people 24-7 there. Um, you can have a chat with a trauma counsellor. You can talk through what some of the options might be local to you. Um, yeah, there's a there's a range of different places. There is, like, for everybody, there is someone that can help. Yeah. And I think, like, what you're saying there is essentially for those that, you know, are looking to support somebody who may be going through an abusive situation, mm. that not being non-judgmental is quite key, Yeah very very important and that can be hard right because yeah um you know you you're sit- sitting and looking at the situation from the outside and you think oh if she just did this and this and this um the violence would stop or she could get out or she could pick up the pieces of her life um yeah that can I think be the hardest piece is you know walking alongside someone and saying look that might not be the choice that I would make but actually I'm not in her shoes um mm. all I can do is be here as a support person and commit to being there in the long term you know um so you know it can be hard and it can be frustrating and it can be um really really difficult to be there when you can see that there's further harm being done but there's probably a whole range of reasons that you're not aware of that she's um making those choices so just recognizing that yeah and that's so important as well because again I think that there's a lot of rhetoric around at the moment about and I do agree with this to some degree in different contexts about extricating yourself from relationships where you feel like you know your emotional like output is more than theirs and you're kind of like trying to help them through problems but they're not listening but I Mm. think this is obviously a very different situation to say your friend who is like keeps going and hooking up with their ex you know it's obviously very different if you're dealing with somebody who is going through abuse because you know they're not in the same kind of place as that person that's just you know making bad decisions yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think one of the things often it can be really um, tempting to do is try and do that problem-solving thing and go, mm. okay, well, if you did this, then we could, you know, um, giving them solutions is not um, the answer. Like letting them know that you will be there and you will find out the information or, um, you know, that you've even that you've spoken to somebody at 1-800-RESPECT because you want to know how you can support them better. Um just I, I would say assume that they're not always going to tell you the whole story, particularly mm. at first. Um, so you will not know the whole picture. Often people will kind of just test the waters a little bit and see if it's safe to tell you that stuff and to see how you'll react. Um, and so because people don't have that nice linear pathway out of um, abusive relationships, um, it really does have to be a kind of long haul and non-judgmental thing um, where um, you're establishing and maintaining trust um, and letting them know that you'll be there for them, you know, and it might be five years down the track that actually they make the decision, I don't want to be in this anymore, and that can be hard. Um, but looking after your own safety as well is really important as a support person. So um, it can take its toll, you know, um, mm. when you're, you know, when it's somebody that you love, um, you know, it might be your sister or somebody that you're really close to, Um uh, violence of any sort is upsetting and it, you know, impacts on you. Um, and if you really care about somebody or you see this going on, um, you might feel overwhelmed or upset or angry or frustrated or all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might trigger stuff from your own personal experiences too. So it's really important that you look after yourself and that you know what you need to keep yourself safe um, and to be able to support them too. 
And that's a really good point as well that you can call 1-800-RESPECT if you are struggling helping somebody as well because obviously, like you said, it's a big burden to take on, Um, but it's obviously a very specific type of help that you need to Mm. give that person. So I think that is such a great point. You know, it's not only going to be affecting the person who's being abused, it's people around, like you said, like, God, if my sister was being abused by her partner, like I would be beside myself and everything in me would want to just like go in and pull her out of that situation but you know like yeah exactly it's that having that patience is such a um a difficult experience to go through Mm. in and of itself so yeah well so we're going to put all of the um we'll put all of the different state contacts for if you're experiencing abuse or you want any more information, um, obviously 1-800-RESPECT and we'll put that also in our show notes. Um, so with Wayjack, what who can come to you and what services are you offering mm. for women? So probably um, because we are um, an inner city Sydney-based service and I imagine you've got um, listeners all over the place, I would say um, probably the most helpful thing that Wayjack can do for people if they're interested, um, hop on the homepage and right down at the very bottom of the homepage, there's a little tiny like um, purple and pink heart thing. And that is um, uh, like a chatbot thing that we set up last year um, after the first, as was as the first wave of COVID was um, kicking in in about April, May last year. And you can, um, you can, direct people you know friends or family that you're worried about um to click on that but you can also do it as a um a friend or a supportive person um and that will just run through a whole heap of questions and it will give you some tools and tips in terms of um being able to support someone or if someone is um concerned um about their own relationship it will guide them through some questions um ask them some things about safety and we'll make some suggestions about where they might want to reach out to get help so, um, you know, like each each um, state and territory has a slightly different service system, but mm-hmm. there are services in every state and territory that are there to support. Um, 1-800-RESPECT is great because it's national. It's um, 24-7. You can ring at 3 a.m. if, you know, you're kind of lying there awake, worried about somebody and you're just not sure what to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also um, they're also able to refer into local support services as well, um, which is really important because, um, you know, people need all sorts of different supports. It might not be that you want to go to a refuge. It might not be that you want legal supports. Um, you might want some counselling. There's a whole range of different ways that um, people need support um, when they're contemplating leaving or after they've left. Mm, that's so good. I think a chatbot is such a good idea because, you know, obviously it's going to be, you know, a lot easier I think for some people than picking up the phone um so yeah that's great we'll put that link also in our show notes all these links guys will be in the show notes um thank you so so much Marie that was such an educational chat like I feel like I've learned so much um you know and obviously you know you never want to be in the situation where someone you know and love is being abused but I think it is really important that we know not just for ourselves but for other people like what the signs are and and how to get help and how to help others yeah that's right I mean we've really um kind of taken it out of the shadows and we're talking about this in a way that we never have um previously and you know like um, women's services and feminists have been talking about this stuff for like 40, 50, 60 years saying, you know, this stuff is preventable. We can do something about it. Um, and we're starting to shift to that level of understanding around how violence supportive attitudes actually often lead to violence. 
Mm. Um, we've still got a long, long way to go and it's going to be a generational shift. But just the fact that we're talking about it is so important. So thanks yeah, for having me. Agreed. Thank you. And thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.